the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Paul says this, if Christ is raised from the dead, or if Christ is not raised from the dead, what does that mean? And and his answer was, Christ is raised from the dead. And so what that does mean is that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the grave is available to every person who trusts in Jesus Christ. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis the first pages of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul reminds us that what has to happen is we get connected with God. We find our identity in Jesus. We live our lives for His glory and that's what fixes up our messed up lives. Our connectivity with God is what forms us and gives us our identity in Christ and then that's what fuels us to live for His glory. But we struggle with that and for some the struggle takes place because we've never been connected with God. So let me make sure you understand that. You're not born connected with God. That's popular psychology, but that's not biblical. You're born separated from God because of sin. You are not a sinner because you have sinned. You're, you're a sinner because that's who you are. You're born that way, separated from God. That means if that's left undealt with, your life is going to miss out on the best things and experience probably the worst things. But more importantly, it means that you will spend eternity in a place the Bible calls hell being punished by eternal death for sin. But God doesn't want that. The Bible says God demonstrated his love in that while or even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because he died for us, we don't have to die for our sins if we trust what he's already done. We receive his forgiveness. That gives us connectivity with God. So what we believe is at some point in your life, you should be able to look back and say, this is when I got connected with God. It wasn't through religion or ritual. It's through a relationship when you yielded your life to Jesus Christ. Now, when you do that, that changes the inner you. The Bible calls it the inner man or the inner woman. And so the inner you is no longer identified by your job title or by what's in your wallet or by who you're married to or hang out with or by how you feel or what you experience on a particular day. The inner inner you is defined by your identity in Christ. Because from that day forward, when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And that's what gives you, not your own strength, not your willpower, not your ability to pull yourself up for your bootstraps, but that's what gives you the opportunity to live for his glory. And so for 15 chapters, the Apostle Paul has written and tried to explain this, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, so that we would get it. And he's addressed all kinds of things in that particular church. 
Some of them could relate to us and even in our church. He's addressed relational division. He's, re- he's addressed immoral choices. He's addressed ethical dilemmas. He's addressed doctrinal differences. He's addressed marital chaos, spiritual pride, gender confusion. Did you hear that? We talked about that last week and, and how even in our culture, there is crisis when it comes to gender identity because corruption, which is sin, always causes confusion. So it was a little different when Paul was writing in Corinth, but he was dealing with the fact that men didn't understand what their role was to be and women didn't understand what their role was to be. He even dealt with worship wars, how the people in the church weren't getting along. They had let pride get in the way. They were arguing over silly things. And then in the next to last chapter, he gives us what some have called the Mount Everest in the Bible. Where Paul says this, if Christ is raised from the dead, or if Christ is not raised from the dead, what does that mean? And and his answer was, Christ is raised from the dead. And so what that does mean is that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the grave is available to every person who trusts in Jesus Christ. That is amazing. That's transformational. And that's something I would say after about 25 years of ministry that it seems like most of those who profess to follow Christ do not really believe. We don't live as if the power that rose Jesus from the grave is available to help us in our marriages, in our jobs, in our finances, in our relationships, in our depression, in our physical illness. We don't live as if we believe that, but that is what scripture teaches. And that's why... The theme has been that no thing or no one can separate us from God. No thing or no one can keep God from fixing up even what we've messed up. God fixes our messed up lives. That's the core of this principle. Only Jesus can truly fix a messed up life. And that's good news. Hey, why don't you just say that with me? Say, that's good news. It really is. I'm glad you think so. Well, now Paul comes to the end of his letter. And he's switching gears a little bit. There's a different tone. Because he's not addressing a problem. He's more saying, now now let me tell you what a fixed up life and a fixed up church looks like. That was countercultural then, and it's countercultural today. And the reason I say it's countercultural because we'd much lev- we'd much rather just accept the way we are. In fact, that's one of the number one shows on TV right now. This is us. This is us. This is this is me. This is how I am. Around our office, we have a saying, and a lot of people say it all the time. Well, it is what it is. We've kind of got that ingrained in us. That's just how things are. I can't change it. Why? What do you mean? That's just the way it is. And Paul is saying, why would we be content with the way it is when we can have things the way they should be? And so he spends chapter 16 telling us, hey, this is the way it, this is the way we should be in a messed up world. We don't have to stay messed up. We don't have to settle We can aim for God's best. So he's going to address how we live our lives, how we worship in our churches in a gospel-changed, grace-filled community of faith for his glory. Now, as a pastor, I always want you to get Scripture because that's where the power is, not just in what I say. And so... 
sometimes I know I love, I lose you when I'm just reading scripture. And so I went back and forth this week, but I, I think you need to hear this as the concluding part of his letter. And so I'm going to read this last part of the letter. This has been a long letter. Most of us haven't written any letters to anyone the length of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> Most of us have not written any letters the length of chapter 16. But this is his conclusion. Listen to what he says. This is the word of God. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, Each of you is to put something aside, store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter. We have folks that do that in Florida, right? We call them snowbirds. They spend the winter. So that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus and the Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. And when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He'll come when he has opportunity. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong that all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they've made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you greetings in the Lord. And all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then there's a change in tone as we come to the conclusion. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So all these things we've done to mess up our life, and he gets to the end, and there really are three principles, three ways that we should look when we're living a fixed-up life. Let me just give you those. And then we'll be done for today. The first one is this. He says, live with generosity. Live with generosity. He starts the chapter about 
talking about a, a collection for the saints. The word collection really was an offering that was giving out of the will of the people. And we're told specifically that it was for those who were needy in the church. So this was not their regular giving pattern. This was not them giving just so that the lights could be turned on as a church, as we say today. This was an offering for a specific purpose. But this offering teaches us some things by what he said. It was clear from his expectation that they were givers, that even in the earliest church, the earliest Christians had built into their DNA this principle of generosity. Paul, like some of them, had come from a Jewish faith. The Jewish people knew there were certain offerings, certain times of the year and different years in which they gave in specific ways. He was reminding them that even though they had freedom in Christ, which he had talked about in his letter, that they were still compelled by the Holy Spirit of God to be generous. And deeply embedded within this truth is a simple principle. Generosity has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with wealth. So understand that truth today. You don't have to make a lot of money to be generous, but you do have to make a decision to be generous. Generosity is not based on the contents of your hands. It's based on the condition of your heart. And so you don't just look at what you've got in your pocket or as we've said in your hands, you search your heart and say, God, what does it look like for me to be generous? And Paul was challenging these gospel-shaped, grace-filled Christ followers to be generous. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now, we continue with our message. Look at that verse again. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. In his expectation or some principles. The first one is this, that their giving would be consistent and regular. Now, why would I say that? Because he said on the first day of what week? Look at it. It's there on the first day of what week? Every week. His expectation was that this was a consistent regular practice in their life that they didn't do this just when they felt like it or when they saw that they had it in a specific way that they were waiting for but their regular practice was to be generous by the way this is why we've adapted in the church to do something that you're doing in other parts of your life we encourage people to give online just like you give to other things and 
pay bills online. So through our church app or through our website, there's a simple way just to look at uh, what it means to give. And even in our church every week, during our services last week, a lot of people gave in that service just because they were prompted in that moment and could do it in an instant. It takes about 20 seconds to give through that app online. But we also encourage people to schedule their giving because that helps keep it consistent and regular. And um, if if you're the preacher and you're up here and you're like me, as I I was taught many years ago now for a couple of decades, I I give my offering when the offering is is passed because I want to be a model. Um, But if, if you're not here in this place every week, if you're sick or if you're on vacation, if you schedule that, that helps you live out this principle of being regular and consistent and more and more people are doing this. But there's a second thing, not only consistent and regular, he said it was systematic. Now, why would I know there was a, it was systematic, which simply means there was a system for how they gave. Why would I say that? Look back at the verse. Each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. What in the world does that mean? Well, Jesus had taught that the Old Testament principle of the tithe, T-I-T-H-E, was still valid. Matthew 23, 23, someone came to him and said, do you still think we should tithe? And Jesus said, yes, tithe. What is the tithe? Tithe is the principle that you give first to the Lord 10% of that which has come into your possessions in a period of time. So if you get paid every week, a tithe would be 10% uh, of what's giving uh, to you during that week. And so Jesus said, yeah, that's, that's a great starting place. But the New Testament doesn't stop there. The New Testament doesn't say that our giving should be based just on those laws, but that our giving should be based on grace, which means that as God has blessed me in that particular week, that's how I should give. That's why it says out of the prospering that God has given you so that God has blessed you. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this. What he was trying to say is it wouldn't make sense if we just got up here and said, hey, if everybody just gave blank, we could pay all our bills. Although I've seen people try to do that in church. I've sat in committees where people say, why don't we do this? Why don't we just encourage everybody to give 50 bucks? Now, just think about that for a second. We are a church made up of all kinds of different walks of life. There are some people, if we said, man, I need you to give 50 bucks this week, they would say, are you crazy? I only made 60. How do you think I'm going to survive? There are other people in our church. I'm confident of this. If we said, I need you to give 50 bucks this week, they'd say, hey, that's great. I made 5,000. Well, that doesn't seem right, does it? So that's why he's saying when you look at this principle of generosity, generosity is not based on a legalistic mentality. Generosity is based on how you prosper. If God prospers you more, he doesn't expect you just to stay at the same place of giving. He expects you to give as you have been prospered. And you know what I've learned? Once you develop that principle in your life, you simply can't outgive God. You pour it out, he pours it in. You pour it out, he pours it in. That's just the way he works. 
was having a conversation with my son. He was processing some things and just he had had seen, you know, some people kind of share all those stories about how God has done that. And that's great. Um, He was asking me as he's kind of growing through his faith, Dad, why don't I see that in, in my life? And I, I told him a couple stories about how God has demonstrated what I just said in our family's life, even in the last few months. And he said, oh, so you just don't put it on Facebook. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, that, that's right. But you can't outgive God. The third principle about generosity is that it was willful. And I love this part. God used this to free me up as I got ready to talk to you. Because so he says, so on the first day of every, say every, the first day of every week, uh, as the Lord has prospered you, um, do it so that when I get there, y'all have got it all set and you've sent it to Jerusalem. And if I need to go with it, whatever, but you're ready to go. Now, why did he, why did he say it that way? I think it's because of this reason. He wanted them to understand that it's not his responsibility. It's not my job as a pastor or of the church, as a preacher of the gospel, to be the fundraiser. It's my, my job just to tell you the truth of the gospel. And so Paul was saying, it's not like I'm going to come and say, no, every head bow, every eye close, put your hand in your wallet and take out everything in there. No, it's not, con- it's not coercion. It's between you and the Lord. But just understand, the Lord has expectations, expectations that you live a generous life. Now, so what does that look like in our church? I want to lay this out because sometimes you just don't know these things. So in our church, when you first give in a general way to our church, it goes to our general ministry budget. Right now, in this season of our church, that's just under $2 million that it takes to operate for a year. That seems like a lot until you understand that we we turn on uh, the lights every day of the week and, and we turn on air when you're in there. Now, some of you uh, feel like we turn on the air too low. Some of you feel like we turn on the air too high. That's why we've made an executive decision. When we redo this room, we're going to put um, thermostats at every seat. Now, they're going to be fake, but we're not going to tell you that. And by the way, we're going to put volume control knobs out on every seat as well, just to help you out. So, um, no, but uh, it it helps us uh, maintain the facilities. It helps us pay our insurance and, and certainly to compensate our staff and do the ministry programs of our church. But then did you know we have other offerings just like they had in Corinth? We have a benevolence offering. It goes just to help the needs of people when they're in dire straits. People walk in our doors every day of the week. And because people have given to our benevolence offering, we give. We have uh, maybe my favorite side thing is our unified mission fund. And all of it goes to support missions outside of the walls of this church. Part of it does help us do our little missions conference, which helps promote missions outside of this church. But uh, so like this year, we had to decrease that quite a bit of what we do because the amount that came in was much lower, so we had to cut some of our mission partners. We had to lower some of those we give to because just around 10% of those who give in general give to that unified missions thing. And so that's a lot lower amount 
just that, that's just over a hundred thousand dollars this year that we're doing great amount but still a lot of people don't participate in that our legacy offering fund is, is just another way that's what allowed us to redo our family life center and pay off uh, over a million dollars of debt that we had and it, it allowed us it's going to allow us we're working right now on the plans to redo our parking there's a group of folks some of them even in, in the church right now that are working on that talking with consultants and then we'll come into this room we won't really put those thermostats or those volume controls but we are we will come into this room we're going to redo it it's been a while and uh, so it needs a, a little update and be modernized so we do that because people give just like this so my question for you is just simply are you living with generosity so in the end of the service, when we come to offering, this is one of those two days of the year, your lucky day, one of the two days of the year where we kind of have a, a special offering. It, it's called catch-up uh, time in, in the spring because we're preparing for summer, and we ask people to give sacrificially. But here's all I'm asking today. Would you just talk to God and say, God, what does generous look like for me today? And then would you do what he says? Because the truth is, you, you may be able to be more generous next week. There's no compulsion here, but I want you to be willing to say to God, God, I want to live with generosity today. What does generous, ge- generosity look like for me today? And then do what he says. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.